The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It's 5 a.m. at CNBC, and here's your top five at five. Markets kicking off the second half on a strong note, looking to shake off a losing week in first half. But futures, they're pointing to a lower open. The ongoing crypto crush taking its toll on yet another lender, becoming the latest to hit pause on customers withdrawing their money. A potential trade truce between the U.S. and China? President Biden reportedly preparing to roll back tariffs on Chinese goods as Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen holds talks with leaders in Beijing. We've got a live report from the Chinese capital coming up. Amazon founder Jeff Bezos renewing his ongoing feud with Biden and the White House, taking the president to task over his blame on energy companies for higher gas prices. His comments coming up. And speaking of Amazon, the e-commerce giant marking one year under CEO Andy Jassy as it navigates a number of headwinds hitting the once high-flying stock. But could a turnaround be on deck? Tuesday, July 5th, that's the day you're watching Worldwide Exchange here on CBC. Good morning and welcome. I'm Seema Modi in for Brian Sullivan at this hour. Let's kick off. The week with a look at how stocks are faring at this moment, a look at futures right now. Pointing to a lower open, but it's still early. The Dow indicating a lower open by around 150 points. Stocks kicking off the second half, though, of the quarter on a strong, of the year, I should say, on a strong note on Friday. All three major indices climbing by around 1%. Still not enough to erase some of the steep losses for the week. The Dow falling 1.2 percent, with the S&P shedding more than 2 percent, as you can see there. The Nasdaq, the biggest loser, falling more than 4 percent. But a lot of it having to do with what's happening in the bond market. The 10-year yield has been sticking around that 3 percent level today, just below that at 2.88 percent. We'll keep an eye on that. Draw your attention to the oil market. We are watching this strike by Norwegian offshore workers expected to reduce oil and gas output, further fueling tight supply worries. That's the worry in the market right now. But here's how oil is trading. WTI crude is actually higher by 1% at $109 a barrel. Ice Brent crude lower by three-tenths of 1% at 113 Not gas, you can see trading at 5.7 at this hour. In cryptocurrency, Land uh, Bitcoin holding right around 20,000. Actually, it was broke 20,000 yesterday. And you can see it's uh, just below that at 19,852. Ether, which is at $1,137, is slightly higher by about 1.5% right now. This is this really comes as the sector is grappling with another lender halting customer withdrawals. We'll have that story coming up shortly. But let's go worldwide right now. JP Ong is standing by and Singapore with a look at the overnight action in Asia. Juliana Tattlebaum is in our London newsroom with a look at the early trade in Europe. But JP, let's start with you. 
Good morning, Seema. And it was a very interesting Tuesday, perhaps encouraging as well for markets and investors here in the Asia-Pacific region, but not without its own level of slight strangeness. Now, we did get those encouraging reports that you were talking to about, about a while ago with regards to those talks by U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen with Vice Premier Liu He in China um, uh, and the possibility of these tariffs being lifted on Chinese goods that could quell a little bit some of these inflationary worries. We did also get China reporting June services PMI coming in stronger than expected. Also the announcement of a $75 billion infrastructure fund to try and jumpstart or bolster the sagging Chinese economy. Despite all this news flow, we actually saw mainland Chinese stocks close in the red. Shanghai and Shenzhen both taking a step back in today's session. The Hang Seng though in Hong Kong luckily escaping the downturn at least in Chinese markets this Tuesday and actually escaping with very meager gains. The rest of the region mostly encouraging those, SEMA for the most part. The Nikkei 225 gaining uh, this uh, Tuesday, extending recent wins. We also saw a pretty decent day for the Taiwan Weighted Exchange in Taipei. Now, I do want to focus on two particular markets, the ASX 200 in Australia and the South Korean Cosby, because we had a key central bank decision earlier today and also um, a, a key inflation report from South Korea. The Reserve Bank of Australia today pulling the trigger on a 50 basis point rate hike. That's the third consecutive rate hike by the Australian officials out in Sydney. And the second time they've done a 50 basis point rate hike consecutively. RBA Governor Philip Lowe saying that they might not be done because this is the time for them to really rein in and try and check inflation down under. South Korea, speaking of inflation, recording inflation surging by more than 6% today. That's the highest we've actually since the Asian financial crisis of 1998 and sets the stage for the Bank of Korea's upcoming policy decision tomorrow. Just very quickly, take a look at how currencies, these two currencies actually react today. And despite that outsized rate hike, the Australian dollar actually losing just a little bit of ground, softening a bit against the greenback. Markets pricing in this rate hike that was uh, expected by most in Australia and and South Korean one today, also weakening to some of the weakest levels since 2008. That's your Asia market wrap for now. And back to you, Seema. Well, we'll be watching that South Korea decision tomorrow. JP, thank you. Now to early trade in Europe. Juliana has more on that from London. Juliana, good to see you. Seema, good morning. Well, European equity markets have been selling off throughout the course of the morning. We've got red across the board. The CAC 40 over in France down about 1.1%. Some underperformance in the UK. FTSE 100 down 1.3%. We're seeing particular weakness in the oil majors. DAX over in Germany down about 1%. A little bit more resilience in the Spanish market, but still down about six-tenths of a percent. Similar story for the Swiss market. We have some Eurozone PMI data come through this morning confirming that the growth picture, the economic picture in Europe in the month of June is concerning. We also are keeping a close eye on oil markets. As you mentioned, Seema, in your opening, WTI crude futures are extending gains this morning as Norwegian energy workers start their strike amid a dispute over wages. This is a look at Brent. We're trading down about 0.5%, but WTI is up 0.7%. According to the group representing the industrial action, the strike will cut output by 89,000 barrels of oil equivalent per day today, rising to 292,000 barrels tomorrow. One other stock I want to highlight for you, Scandinavia's largest airline, SAS, has filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy in the U.S. Warning strike action by pilots has impacted its financial position and liquidity. The pilot strike, which began yesterday after talks broke down, will see around 50 percent of its daily scheduled flights canceled. SAS shares down 20 percent. Seema, back over to you. That's definitely the stock of the day. Juliana, thank you. Let's get a check on some of your morning's top stories. Silvana Hanau standing by with those. Silvana, good morning. Hey, Sima, good morning. Yeah, 
President Biden apparently set to roll back some tariffs on Chinese imports. According to reports, a potential announcement could come this week. The planned pause would be likely centered on consumer goods like clothing and school supplies. The plan will also reportedly involve launching a broad framework to allow importers to request tariff waivers. The possible move comes as the administration grapples with near-record inflation, though some economists say removing the tariffs won't likely have a dramatic impact on high prices. Shares of Foxconn popping in overseas trading as it raised its full-year outlook. The world's largest electronics contract manufacturer citing strong sales of smartphones and servers for the move. The company says appropriate supply chain management and rising sales of consumer electronics have helped it offset concerns of slowing demand due to inflation and lockdowns in China hitting major clients like Apple. And Fidelity reportedly planning to roll out a new tool to let investors in the U.S. create custom portfolios tailored to their personal preferences. According to the Financial Times, the asset manager will unveil a direct indexing tool in a significant move to open up the concept to small investors. The FT says the tool will carry a monthly fee of just under $5 and will let investors create custom indices either by building one from scratch or selecting one of 13 Fidelity thematic stock models. And Seema, as the paper points out, the move is seen as a threat to traditional pooled vehicles such as mutual funds and ETFs. And Silvana, maybe this type of concept works, especially given the downturn. So many retail investors, overweight tech, and now sitting on losses. Exactly. Yeah. Silvana, thank you. Good to see you. We'll see you in a bit. Well, it is a busy week ahead for Wall Street. Investors bracing for several key economic reports in the coming days with a major focus on employment data. We get the May factory order report later today. And tomorrow, though, it's the JOLTS report. Thursday, we get weekly initial jobless claims, followed by the big, highly anticipated monthly jobs report out on Friday. For more on the trading week ahead, let's bring in Kevin Simpson. He's a founder and CIO of Capital Wealth Planning. Kevin, good morning to you. Hi, Seema. I just detailed some of the economic reports that are on the radar, are on the agenda this week of high focus on employment. I think one big question out there, Kevin, is as the Fed tackles high inflation, how much weakness they're willing to uh, overcome, I guess, in the jobs market and if that could play out this week. Yeah, well, if you think back during the pandemic, the jobs report is all we ever cared about. I mean, it, it was the uh, biggest report on the docket. Now it seems like it's all about inflation. So last week we had the PCE number and it came in with an indication that maybe, just maybe, inflation was peaking. And I was thinking about it last night as we were celebrating fireworks across the country that maybe we should have had a little bit of a preamble of that. Maybe we should have had some fireworks last week to signal the all clear on inflation, but we'll get a lot better read on the trajectory of inflation next week with CPI. So as important as the jobs number is this week, I don't think it's going to do anything to change the opinion of the Fed. They're solely focused or almost laser solely focused on inflation. So CPI next week might be even bigger than the jobs report this Friday. Are you recommending to clients to stay away from some of the sectors that have been hit hardest by inflation? What comes to mind is consumer discretionary, consumer staples, energy in some cases. Well, it's interesting you say that because if we look at energy, it was one of the best performing sectors for the first half of 2022, which is hard to 
you know, find any solace in a, in a pretty lousy start. In fact, it was the worst first half of the year since 1970. But energy was a standout. However, over the past three weeks, we've seen energy stocks come down about 20%. So I think it presents opportunities to, if you've missed that trade or you don't have exposure there, to maybe re-enter that sector. Consumer discretionary, I think you have to still be a little bit wary. Maybe the consumer is going to come back strong in the holiday spending season. But that's something that in a recessionary environment, and I believe we're in that, you, you may want to underweight discretionary spending a little bit. However, consumer staples, I still think there's opportunity. I still think there's value. You need to be cognizant of what we can do with respect to the supply chains here. But consumer staples that have some pricing power, I think, still need to be in a portfolio. And what's your hot tech on, hot take on tech right now? If you had to buy a part of the sector, whether it's hardware, software, where would you be putting your money? Whether it's tech or any sector, SEMA, I think it's all about cash on cash and return to shareholders. When you go through a bottoming process, if we're in a recession or heading into a recession, you need to own stocks that are paying dividends. For us, it's all about increasing dividends. So we like big tech, we like boring tech, and we like dividends. As you go through this process, our mantra, and I say it all the time, we want to get paid while we wait. So I think big tech makes sense. And whether it's Microsoft, Apple, or Cisco, looking at these things as building positions, not trading them, not looking two or three months, but taking opportunities to, to add to those positions in volatility and weakness, that's how we trade. Uh, that's how we invest as professional traders. Yeah, both of those stocks sitting on sizable losses for the year. We'll see if they turn around in the second half. Kevin, good to see you this morning. Kevin Sibson. Thanks, All right. when we head When we head to break now, more headwinds for crypto, including one Peter Thiel-backed lender hitting pause on all transactions, seeking a new lifeline to stay afloat. Plus, authorities in Illinois capturing a person of interest in that deadly mass shooting during a 4th of July parade yesterday, the latest on the investigation. Later, travelers taking to the skies met with thousands of delays and cancellations as air travel breaks pandemic records during the holiday weekend. Got a very busy hour still ahead here on Worldwide Exchange. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones... Our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older like a family vacation or starting your dream business welcome to connie's coffee how may i help you aarp's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds that's why the younger you are the more you need aarp start planning today at aarp.org money tools Let's take a look at Bitcoin. Gaining some ground today, hovering near $20,000 after falling below 19000 at one point last week. Still down more than 30% over the past month, as you can see right there. Ether is up even more percentage-wise today by 1.5%, although the second largest cryptocurrency 
is down 35%, 37% in the past month. The gains come even as the sector continues to get hit hard by bad news. Crypto hedge fund Three Arrows Capital filing for bankruptcy late Friday after weeks of speculation it was insolvent. A report says crypto lender Celsius laying off about 150 employees this weekend after it halted customer withdrawals last month. Another lending platform, CoinLoan, temporarily limiting the size of daily withdrawals by 99%, although it says the decision was not driven by market instability. And then there's Vald. It's a Singapore-based lender and trading platform that's backed by Peter Thiel, suspending all transactions and is seeking new investors. The CEO citing market volatility, which has led to nearly a $200 million in withdrawals in recent weeks. Let's talk about this and more with Clara Medali. She's a director of research at Kaiko. And Clara, I mean, a lot of bad news over the weekend. How bad is this for investors, for the industry as it tries to mark a turnaround here? Yep. So overall, June and quarter two as a whole were very brutal for cryptocurrency markets. We saw the meltdown of some of the largest entities in the entire industry. And actually, the collapse of Three Arrows Capital seems to be the worst of all because they had loans from many of the largest cryptocurrency lenders from BlockFi, Voyager Digital, Vald, um, Celsius. And so this has sort of created a contagion effect. So I know that the question on everyone's mind is when will the contagion end? Um, We need to see how these bankruptcies Uh, what happens with these bankruptcies, whether these companies will actually become insolvent. I mean, ultimately, when the dust settles and when the liquidations stop for Bitcoin held on these balance sheets, then we can probably expect the volatility to die down. But it still remains unclear. Even this week, we're seeing more lending uh, lenders, centralized lenders pause their services. Yeah, the crypto lending market, right, received a lot of attention at the height of the, the Bitcoin boom, which was just last year, where, you know, you could get returns of 10 to 20 percent compared to the less than one percent you get at a traditional bank. Can this crypto lending market turn things around? I mean, especially given these eye popping names, uh, suspending transactions. What happens there? Well, I think what we're seeing is that there is systemic risk in the business models of these centralized uh, centralized lending platforms. And it's something that traditional banks, uh, they don't have. And so we'll likely see a lot more regulation when it comes to these CFI entities, because at the end of the day, they are centralized companies. They're not decentralized. And what they're doing with their clients' funds has largely been unregulated. And there's been very, very poor risk management. Mm-hmm. So hopefully we see both some regulation to protect consumers, but also more transparency on behalf of uh, these companies. In your notes, you you highlight that the volatility in Bitcoin trading is at an all-time high. Uh, What does that mean for traders? What does that tell you about the outlook? So, yeah, so volatility, it's at yearly highs. It's at some of its highest levels uh, over the past year. It's higher than NASDAQ, S&P 500. Um, And so I think what we're seeing is that Bitcoin in particular has sold off a lot more than other altcoins. And that's because Bitcoin is one of the most popular assets to hold on a balance sheet. And it's one of the first assets that gets liquidated in times of a credit credit crunch. Um, And so we're actually seeing Bitcoin sell off a lot faster than other cryptocurrencies, which has created this um, this volatility that's uh, that has very been much been detriment, detrimental to a lot of traders. Do you have a year end target for Bitcoin currently trading at just below 20,000? 
Well, it seems that 20,000, that was a very strong level of support for a while, but Bitcoin has since dipped below. So at this point, we need to see what happens with the liquidations and insolvencies a lot of these of a lot of these crypto companies. And so I would say it could go low, lower, but depends on how much is selling off over the next month. Yeah, it seems to be around a lot of uncertainty right, right now surrounding uh, this crypto asset class. Clara, great to see you. Thanks for your time today. Clara Medalli. Thank you so much. All right. Still on deck, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen holding what's been called constructive talks with her Chinese counterparts. We will go live to Beijing for what, if any, progress was made on key issues between the two sides. We're back in a moment. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Welcome back. Authorities in Illinois have captured a person of interest in that deadly mass shooting at a 4th of July parade in a suburb of Chicago. NBC's Jay Gray live in Highland Park, Illinois, with the latest. And Jay, what would you say we've learned about this person of interest? Well, a lot of the focus right now on what he's done online and some of the things that he has shared as a part of his uh, social media. A little more on that. Let me tell you about the scene, though. It is still locked down, uh, still with state, local and federal uh, officials on the ground here investigating. Uh, after yesterday's mat- deadly massacre, six people killed, more than two dozen injured, when a holiday tradition, a Fourth of July parade and celebration here in the downtown town area turned tragic. A 4th of July celebration quickly shifts to chaos. All of a sudden you hear these howitzer type noises coming. Pow, pow. I mean, a sound I've never heard before. A gunman with a high-powered rifle apparently firing from the top of a nearby building at spectators lining a parade route. You saw massive amounts of blood in the people that were gone. Their injuries were horrific. Families rushed to escape the massacre, leaving behind rows of empty chairs. Officers moving in, locating a weapon, then later tracking down someone they call a person of interest. The person of interest, Robert Cremo III, uh, was spotted by a North Chicago unit. That subject did flee. Uh, a brief pursuit uh, was uh, had went on. Uh, ultimately, they were able to get the subject stopped uh, at Wesley and 41 in Lake Forest. Uh, The subject was taken into custody without incident. The holiday in this Chicago suburb turning into a nightmare. On a day that we came together to celebrate community and freedom, we're instead mourning the loss, the tragic loss of life and struggling with the terror that was brought upon us. 
The latest in a string of U.S. cities this summer now dealing with overwhelming heartache and unthinkable loss. Yeah, and a little more now on that 22-year-old person of interest here, Robert Bobby Cremo. Uh, investigators looking at what's described as an extensive and very disturbing social media footprint with tributes to mass shootings and public killings as well. Same as graphic descriptions and discussions about uh, murder, suicide, and death. So a lot of work in this investigation going on there as well as in the small downtown area just behind us here. Such a devastating story. Jay, thank you for bringing us the latest. Jay Gray in Highland Park. Let's get a check now on some of this morning's other top headlines. NBC's Philip Mena in New York with the latest. Philip. Hi, Seema. Good morning. Protests continue in Akron following the deadly police shooting of Jalen Walker. Officials there declared a state of emergency and issued a 9 p.m. curfew. The city also canceled its 4th of July fireworks. Walker's family's family attorney says authorities told him an estimated 90 rounds were fired. Authorities say roughly 60 wounds were found on his body. They say the 25-year-old was unarmed when he was killed. Over in Russia, WNBA superstar Brittany Griner made a plea to the president asking for him to intervene in her case. In excerpts from her letter to the president, which her spokeswoman did not release in full, Griner wrote, As I sit here in a Russian prison, alone with my thoughts and without the protection of my wife, family, friends, Olympic jersey, or any accomplishments, I'm terrified I might be here forever. The Russians say they found vape cartridges containing cannabis oil in her luggage. Greiner was last seen in a Moscow courtroom last week. Her next hearing is Thursday. Fireworks lit up the nation's skylines in honor of Independence Day. In New York, Macy's 46th annual 4th of July fireworks was held along New York City's East River. Meanwhile, Las Vegas held its 4th of July fireworks show on the famous Strip after it was canceled last year due to the pandemic. And check out this chopper video of a spectacular fireworks show that was held in the Mile High City of Denver. Just a few of the many celebrations over this long holiday weekend. Seema, and back to you. Love it. Thanks for bringing it to us, Philip. Still on deck, Tesla reportedly hitting pause on production at a pair of factories on the heels of tough quarterly output figures for the EV maker. We've got the details on just how long the plans may sit idle. And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on all major podcast apps. We will be right back. Stocks looking to carry the second half strong start into the new trading week. But futures, you can see, losing steam, pointing to a lower open. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen and her Chinese counterparts holding what's being called constructive talks amid reports the White House may be ready to roll back tariffs on some goods from that country. Yunus Yun standing by in Beijing with the latest. And Jeff Bezos renewing his feud with President Biden over economic policies, this time taking the commander-in-chief to task over inflation and high fuel prices. It is Tuesday, July 5th, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange on CNBC. Welcome back. I'm Seema Modi in for Brian Sullivan. It's right around 5.30 a.m. East on the East Coast here. And here's how markets and your money are looking right now. Futures, as we say, 
as we told you, are indicating a negative open with the Dow currently down 185 points. The S&P 500 implied open down 24 points. This as the S&P 500 closed below its 200-day moving average on Friday. Let's turn to the bond market. We do get Fed meeting minutes this week. The 10-year yield, it was sort of staying at around that 3% level. It's currently below that at 2.88%. And I want to draw your attention to the currency market. We are seeing a big move in the euro this morning, sliding more than 1% to a new 20-year low against the dollar as investors raise concerns as to whether the European Central Bank can hike interest rates as Europe faces a recession. This as the Fed is on a path to continue raising rates. So that policy divergence, as we've been discussing, uh, hitting the euro, which is trading right now at 103 against the dollar, the lowest level we've seen this year. Watch that. To those talks between Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen and China's vice premier, the pair holding a virtual conversation, talking a number of macro issues with China, calling the conversation constructive. Eunice Yoon joining us from Beijing with more. And Eunice, what were some of the key topics discussed between Yellen and Chinese officials? Well, Seema, the Treasury Department says that the two sides discussed the global economic outlook and that Secretary Yellen laid out to her Chinese counterpart the U.S.'s concerns. And they are the impact, for example, of Russia's war on Ukraine or what Washington considers to China's unfair trade practices. The Chinese side said that China's vice premier, Liu He, told her that he was also concerned and brought up China's China's point of view, that U.S. tariffs, sanctions, and what Beijing believes is U.S. mistreatment of Chinese companies needs to be addressed. Now, the American readout did not mention tariffs, but the expectation has been that President Biden, in effort to fight inflation, is considering a rollback of tariffs, of these Trump-era tariffs, as early as this week. Now, I was talking to suppliers as well as business executives here who said that if the U.S. were to do that, they would almost see an immediate impact in terms of orders, especially those who are selling uh, consumer goods to Americans. Uh, however, for President Biden, uh, the cut, uh, it wouldn't really be that much of a clear-cut choice. Um, on the one hand, uh, President Biden is uh, seeing this inflation, and some economists believe that if there were to be a tariff rollback, it wouldn't necessarily have a massive impact on overall inflation. In fact, Barclay says that it would have a maximum one-time 0.3 percentage point drop. And then, of course, Seema, there are concerns um, about the um, impact that uh, President Biden could look weak on China. Yeah, certainly the prospect of these Chinese tariffs being rolled back or softened is encouraging news for the market. I'm just curious, from China's perspective, are they incentivized to reach some sort of agreement on, on trade and tariffs? Well, they are incentivized in that they would want to have any type of alleviation of the tariffs because the economy is suffering. So there is, of course, an incentive for China to cooperate or make some arrangement with the Biden administration. And of course, we really don't know what's happening behind closed doors. But at the same time, uh, the Chinese have repeatedly said that China is not responsible for the deterioration in relations between the U.S. and China, and that the U.S. is the one that needs to change its policy. So we're going to have to see how all of this plays itself out. But there was a hint that China wasn't so willing to cooperate, at least publicly. Today, the foreign ministry uh, said that China's position has always been clear. The cancellation of all tariffs on China will benefit both China 
and the U.S. and the world. But again, um, really making it clear that China thinks that they're always in the right. Yeah, well, the world will be watching to see how this plays out. Uh, Alibaba shares trading up 2% pre-market. Yunus, always great to see you. Thank you. Yunus Yun. Now, back here in the U.S., millions of travelers taking to the skies this holiday weekend with numbers approaching pre-pandemic levels. But the surging demand once again leading to headaches as airlines grapple with thousands of delays and cancellations. Phil Lebeau Lebeau, joins us on the CNBC Newsline with more. And Phil, just how put put this into perspective for us. How bad was it out there this weekend? It wasn't a great weekend, Seema, but it was not as horrific as many feared it might be. The numbers speak to uh, the situation improving as the weekend went along in terms of total cancellations. FlightAware registered more than 1,800 cancellations. The delays, that's where you really notice the impact. More than 21,000 flights delayed over the weekend. But the biggest impact, Friday and Saturday, Sunday and Monday, were much smoother. And for the airlines, the one story that got a lot of attention is American Airlines and its internal scheduling software for its pilots had a glitch on Friday that briefly, very briefly, left about 12,000 flights without either a captain or a first officer assigned to that flight. Now, we should point out that American says, look, this had no operational impact. This is an internal software system for pilots who are scheduling flights or trading flights with each other. We fixed the glitch. And the the pilots' union points out, well, it may not have had huge operational impact. They believe there's probably some in terms of the delays, and they also believe that this is emblematic of a company that did not invest enough when it came to uh, preparing for the resurgence of travel uh, after the pandemic. And we have seen that resurgence because you're looking at the highest number of people on Friday who were flying since before the pandemic. So as you look ahead, Zima, the next couple of days should be a little bit smoother than last weekend, and then we head into the rest of the summer. Yeah, and of course, certain airlines like Delta offering those flight change waivers. But are there any expectations, Phil, that this situation will get better as the summer goes along, or will it be more of the same? It should be a little bit better because you've got three airlines and others who have already said they brought down their schedules. But you've got American, Delta, and United who have all started bringing down their schedules starting July 1st. So there's a little less stress on the system overall. But the bottom line is this. These are going to be packed flights all the way through Labor Day at least. And if we get a bad weather system somewhere, watch out. That's where the cancellations and the delays really pile up. We'll be watching. Phil, thanks so much for joining us today. Phil Lebeau. Now to some of this morning's other top stories, including a Twitter fight between Jeff Bezos and the White House. Sylvana Hanau is here with the details. Sylvana. Hey, Seema, thanks. TikTok is abandoning plans to expand live shopping in the U.S. and Europe. The Financial Times reports the social media platform has been hit by internal problems and struggled to gain traction with consumers. TikTok Shop was launched in the U.K. last year with brands and influencers broadcasting and selling products live on the app. TikTok had aimed to expand to Germany, France, Italy and Spain earlier this year before launching in the U.S. Tesla is hitting pause at several plants. Last month, Bloomberg reported Tesla would halt most production on the Model Y in Shanghai for the first half of July and the Model 3 line for 20 days starting July 18th. 
Now, German website Tesla Mag says the carmaker's plant near Berlin will take a two-week break starting July 11th. This comes after Tesla reported deliveries dropped in the second quarter, missing estimates due mostly to COVID lockdowns in China. Jeff Bezos is locking horns again with President Biden. The Amazon founder slamming the president for demanding gas stations lower prices to reflect the cost they pay for their fuel. Bezos tweeting, ouch, inflation is far too important a problem for the White House to keep making statements like this. It's either straight ahead or misdirection or a deep misunderstanding of basic market dynamics. White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre rejecting that criticism, arguing oil prices have dropped about $15 in the past month, while gas prices have barely moved, Seema. Rather outspoken Jeff Bezos. Silvana, thank you. Coming up, a year of Amazon under CEO Andy Jassy. We will take talk to one top analyst on the $600 billion the stock has shed in that time frame and the bull case for the e-commerce giants. That's up. Welcome back. Today marks one year since Andy Jassy took over the top job at Amazon. And what a year it's been. The stock is down more than 30 percent under his watch. More than $600 billion in market value wiped out. And between the company reporting its slowest quarterly sales growth in 20 years to seeing one of its warehouses from the company's first ever union, what does the next 12 months have in store? Joining me now is MKM Partners Managing Director and North American Internet Analyst Rohit Kulkarni. You've been following the stock for a while, Rohit. It's good to see you. How much would you attribute the underperformance in Amazon to Andy Jassy's leadership style? Uh, Andy Jassy has been doing a, a fantastic job, in my opinion. I feel uh, there's been a trifecta of headwinds that Amazon, along with many other internet companies, are facing. Uh, on top of that, there is uh, exit departures. Two new CEOs, Adam Silipsky, Doug Harrington, uh, leading two of the biggest internet uh, platforms uh, in the world. So I think next 12 months, what I'm excited about is as we lap through the COVID uh, kind of pandemic uh, pull forward, as we lap through the inflation headwinds, and we get new execs running full steam ahead. That's the time to buy Amazon stock. And that's where we like Amazon here. Next 12 months, we get to see all these three things move through the pipe. And uh, in uh, Amazon, we trust. But to respond to the growing macro pressures, as you just highlighted, whether it's inflation, whether it's slowing growth, what does Jassy need to do right now? Raise prices, expand their footprint in other markets? What do you think that what he needs to do right now to help this company rebound? Um, in the near term, I think what investors want is a showcase of what uh, the retail, the core retail uh, business and what margins can the core retail return, return back to. They have obviously overhired. Uh, they accepted that. They had overbuilt fulfillment centers. They did accept that as a mistake. So over the next 12 months, they need to grow retail and have margins in retail expand to a level that perhaps could start showing signs of real sustainable profitability. What Amazon is, uh, investors are worried right now is where do retail margins go from here? They are not worried about cloud. They are not worried about uh, advertising. They are really solid businesses with expanding margins. But retail, the core e-commerce, as people are swinging away from uh, buying goods to buying services and Amazon is overhired and overspent on fulfillment centers, that's where the hot button is. If, uh, if Doug Harrington is the guy who 
turns it around and shows margins, that's when uh, you buy Amazon stock. And we believe that that's uh, about to happen starting 1Q of 23. The company split their stock um, in early June. Typically, history shows that when a company splits their stock, you see it bounce. But that didn't happen in this case. Amazon has has continued to trade down. Uh, You talked about retail being a core area of opportunity. But what about Amazon Web Services? Are they starting to see more competition from Microsoft, Google, other cloud players? Is that a concern? I think, uh, in my opinion, Amazon is a very distant leader uh, above and beyond uh, Microsoft and Google and some other uh, kind of fast followers. Uh, They have more than 30% margins. Uh, It's a $60 million annual run rate revenue business. And they're uh, they're adding more uh, services at a clip that uh, no other competition is doing. Uh, On top of that, I feel uh, Amazon Web Services is is on the cusp of vertically integrating hardware, software, network in a way that uh, could disrupt many other companies in the networking and storage space. So I feel there is a lot more green room, green uh, kind of uh, greenfield opportunity for uh, web services. I feel they are uh, they still remain undervalued and Celebski is the right guy. Probably acquisitions are something that uh, uh, we could have some positive surprise over the next 6 to 12 months from AWS. All these high growth names that had such a strong bull run uh, and you know are now cut back on spending. What comes to mind is Netflix, which that stock is down 70% this year. When it comes to Amazon, uh, where does it start to cut back on spending? How does Prime Video hold up amidst all this? Uh, to some extent, I believe they have already shown hints of cutting back on spending. They've already indicated uh, that they will not be building too many new fulfillment centers. So the, some, to some extent, uh, capital expenditures are going to start to slow down. They'll still be at a very record high growth rate, but still they have uh, accepted that some parts of the business are going to slow down uh, spend. They have stopped hiring in uh, so, some parts of retail. So there are... Again, as Amazon does, they would continue to spend and probably be opportunistic in these in these slow times to hire uh, more talent and expand into places where other people might be retrenching. So now is the time probably for them to double down on certain places such as uh, Prime Video, such as Prime uh, uh, Overseas, and so on and so forth. So I feel uh, they may be opportunistic in expanding, but pulling back on places where they feel that investors and investment community wants to see margin, and that's retail. All right. Well, you've got a $180 price target. It currently trades at $108. We'll be watching this stock. Rohit, thank you for joining us. Rohit Kulkarni of MKM. On deck, stocks are fighting to kick off the week on a strong note. Oppenheimer's John Stolfis offering his take as markets gear up for earnings season. And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check Brian Sullivan out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. We will be right back. Welcome back. A relatively quiet day ahead for traders coming off a long holiday weekend. 
Around 9.15 Eastern, we'll get June sales figures for Ford. At 10 a.m. Eastern, it's the factory orders report for the month of May. Markets are preparing to kick off this shortened trading week uh, for the second half of 2022 on a strong note, although futures indicating we will open lower. The Dow is off by 143 points. A big week for economic data with a focus on employment and the latest minutes from the Fed's most recent policy meeting. For more on what to expect, let's bring in John Stolfus, Chief Investment Strategist at Oppenheimer Asset Management. John, it's always great to see you. Uh, it's getting harder to be an optimist these days with nine of the 11 S&P 500 sectors trading below their 50-day moving average. But I'm curious where you see opportunity right now. Well, Stephen, first of all, thanks for having me on the wax. I've got to say this, that, you know, when we look at it uh, at this point, we think the markets are are fairly well oversold and are working, uh, at least it looks like uh, from the futures, uh, to add to that a little bit uh, this morning. Uh, But we would have to say that we think by this point, it's important to take a look and see uh, what where the babies that have been thrown out with the bathwater are. We've got to expect that as we move forward, uh, we've already seen some of the commodity prices come off the boil, uh, whether, uh, you you know, it it, it was aluminum uh, or uh, copper. Uh, We are uh, beginning to see uh, companies uh, slow their vision for the next quarter, give guidance that looks uh, for slowing. And we can't help but think that we may be uh, through the worst thus far. Uh, In past years, we have seen, you know, things really work out in the second half after having pretty dismal first half. So uh, we're still optimistic, though we have to admit guardedly so, uh, as we uh, review the data on a, on a day-to-day basis. You mentioned energy, John. I want to get your reaction to a new note that came out from City Analysts this morning. They are predicting a collapse in oil to $65 by the end of this year due to, due to the ongoing worries of a recession. Does that, does, how does that sound right now? I mean, we're trading above 100 right now. Yeah, we've got to say, you know, Seema, when we look at it, uh, uh, the uh, the sector in terms of the S&P 500 sector, the stocks are off about 21 percent from uh, a high this year on June 8th, which would suggest that the the uh, the sectors in a, in a bear position just since uh, early June. Uh, on the other hand, uh, the uh, the WTI is only down around 10 percent or so. We can't help but think that, that oil won't go to, to $65 a barrel, though we could expect that oil could, could trade uh, sooner than later uh, in, in, in an area that would be somewhat dramatically lower. We could, might even see it go to $80 if the administration would pivot on its very unfavorable policy towards uh, U.S. producers. Yeah, back to the Fed and and broader markets. There's a new note from BTIG. Their technical analysts there say that do not buy any bounce that you see in this market. Uh, They expect the S&P 500 to attempt to rally to 4,000, but finishing the quarter below 3,800. What's your what's your target right now? You know, right now, uh, when it when when it comes to our our target for the S&P 500, the one that we have just left left standing at this point is 5330. Uh, we're addressing that. It's, it would be about 40 some percent upside from where the markets clo- where the S and P closed on Friday. Uh, but we are more looking at at, uh, at actually considering uh, 
opportunities within individual uh, stocks, uh, as well as in sectors that look to be uh, oversold. We'd include that to be consumer discretionary, technology, industrials, and financial financials. And looking forward, we can't help but think uh, better things are in store. And there's an old adage, as we all know, it's buy low, sell high. The problem is it's always difficult to buy low in, in times like this. And it's also difficult uh, to, to sell uh, high. So it requires discipline. Uh, and we also think it's very important to have prudent diversification at this time and right-sized expectations for the near term as well as for intermediate and longer term. Good sound advice there, John. Good to see you. Thanks for joining us today, John Stolfis. Quick check on the euro, which again is trading at a 20-year low against the dollar. Concerns around whether the ECB can raise rates as Europe faces a potential recession. That does it for us on Worldwide Exchange. Dow is down 120. Scott Squawkbox is next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.